Well, welcome to the Estates Made Simple podcast. We're glad you're tuning in. My name is Gordon Vanderleek, founder of Vanderleek Law, and here with my co-host Jenna Carvello, the founder of Guardian Estate Company. I guess that makes us both founders, isn't it, Jenna? I guess we're entrepreneurial in nature, and we we started into this into these very our, our different businesses and touching on the world of estate administration. And yeah, for our audience, we just want to restate our mission, which is we're wanting to help simplify what can be a complex area. So thank you for tuning in. And and we're going to look today and talk a little bit about ways to reduce risk. We're always worried uh, the role of an executor has some risk attached to it. And as we're talking about that, it's a good reminder up front that what we talk about is, is general information. Obviously, what is applicable on your a state that you're involved with is particular and and we are not able to comment on that or nothing in this podcast should be taken as legal advice but it would be important obviously if, if you're the executor or an administrator of an estate to get specific advice on your situation from qualified professionals. So with that disclaimer out of the way, Jenna tell us a little bit about the concept of risk. <laughs> My favorite topic, how to Indeed. protect yourself from risk. <laughs> so we've we've previously chatted about the risk that executors face. You know, if they make a mistake in the course of the estate administration, they could be personally liable to reimburse the estate. And and obviously that's that's the worst case scenario. We don't want that to happen. And so we just wanted to talk about a few easy ways to reduce the risk, the overall risk of the estate administration. Easy, fast, quick ways that often are forgotten by executors. And so the first First one we really wanted to talk about was posting a notice to creditors and claimants in the paper. And this seems so old-fashioned. I know Gord and I were, were we were talking about it beforehand that you know some people don't don't do this anymore. But really, it, it, you can post a notice in the paper indicating that an individual has passed away and telling all the potential creditors out there that they have within a certain time frame to submit their claim to the estate. If they don't submit their claim to the estate, then the executor can can go ahead and distribute assets to beneficiaries without being worried about future claimants coming in um, with respect to, you know, outstanding liabilities or anything like that. And so it's really just an extra layer of protection that the executor can go through, an extra step. And I think the timeline, what is it, Gord, about five or six weeks, you typically give the potential creditor yeah. to come forward. Yeah. And so it's just, you know, you post two two times in the paper of of the uh, the city of, of where the deceased had, had lived and died. And uh, and then you wait. And if the time passes and you don't get any creditors out of the woodwork, then then you have a little bit of more comfort knowing that, you know, you've captured all the potential liabilities. I, I think there inherently there's some communication with people who are owed money. But this is that that sort of happens because people are, you know, you're looking at invoices. So, you know, the NMAX bill comes in because they owned a house. Well, you got to pay the NMAX bill. That Those are the, the, the maybe the more obvious ones. And really, this is a, a way, I think, to protect for what you don't know is out there. Right. right. And it just to to encourage people to say, well, if you have a claim, put it forward. So we have used these in situations where we know there may be some creditors or in a situation where the person maybe was running an active business or, you know, was a sole proprietor. And there might be some, you know, we don't know what arrangements, what what creditors are out there. So it depends kind of when the person passed away what they were involved with and what the you examine, I think, the nature of the estate. So certainly not everybody does it, but it's it's good to 
put as point number one that it does exist. You can put your mind towards, is this appropriate in the circumstance? Maybe different if somebody is a senior and their situation has been managed under a power of attorney for years and years. Well, you know yeah. that they're, you kind of know what you're dealing with. They weren't able to enter into contracts or, you know, some business arrangements or uh, various investments that could give rise to liability. But if you're not sure, then it's a great way to provide an extra layer of protection. And it's specifically dealt with in the Estate Administration Act in terms of that statutory protection. So from that perspective, it's, it's a good option, right? And one that should at least be considered if the trend is not every estate is doing it, that doesn't mean it's not useful or appropriate in your situation, right? So it should, right. uh, you know, think about doing that. I was thinking a little bit about your comment on it's old fashioned. Where that is illustrated is they still require that you got to do, you got to do an affidavit and get the actual paper advertisement, that page of the Calgary Herald. I mean, it's not yes. even digitized. I mean, they, they need to modernize this process to make it easier. So it's really cumbersome to actually post your proof of that. With that being said, you know, give some consideration to doing that publication. It, it might be where you reside, but it's where the deceased reside in there in, right. in the in paper of, of general circulation within within that jurisdiction. Right. Well, and we were chatting too that there's new solutions opening up. Um, there's an online yes. option as well. So I haven't really looked into it, but I think that, you know, is is moving into the 21st century and allowing um, you know, executors to do their jobs a little bit easier. So if you can do it online, probably a little bit less expensive, then it, it's, yes. it may be worthwhile. If you're bringing two potential creditors, the notice that you're going to do a distribution and you're ready, you know, then they can only claim for what is left in the estate versus try to claw back some money that's gone into the hands of the beneficiary, right? So, right. or if I'm looking at acting for somebody who has a claim against the estate, you're trying to serve notice, you're trying to put the executor on notice because once they're aware of it, they have to deal with it. They can't ignore it, right? right? So it's, this is one way of kind of having that cleanup with regard to unknown creditors that is useful to to think about. And so what uh, what's the second way to minimize risk, Gord? I know you have lots of tricks under your hat there. <laughs> yeah, one of the one of the things that I think is worth putting on the list is obtaining releases. Now, this is in relation to in terms of beneficiaries, because one of the risks would be that a beneficiary is going to complain about what you've done and say mm -hmm. you were negligent, you, you failed to uphold your legal obligations in the estate. One way to resolve that issue would be to obtain a release. So typically, we're looking at getting releases whenever there's a distribution and providing a financial report. Not universally, there's some circumstances that you might do a distribution, an interim distribution, and get the release later on. So it depends on the circumstances. But I start with a general rule of saying, whenever you're giving money, get a release in return. So then at least for the work you've done to date, you know that the beneficiaries are in agreement with the work that you've done, or I guess more pointedly, they're not upset about something and they're releasing you from any claims. So they wouldn't be able to go back and sue you for something once they have signed that release. In a situation where it's a closer family situation, this is sometimes where it gets a little more awkward, right? Going, well, these are my siblings. Like if mom passes away and you're distributing to your yourself and your siblings, well, do I really need a release? And you might trust that if your siblings say everything is okay, that you're not going to require them to sign a release. But the flip side is true as well. If it's a normal procedure, and I would regard it as such, and there's a prescribed form that the court provides to say this is a standard release, pretty simple language going, yep, I'm happy with everything. I will not sue you. I, I think it's appropriate to make people put pen to paper 
because there's something about that act of saying, oh, I guess I'm saying everything is okay. So it'll flush out whether there's a problem or provide a comfort and why not do it in a family situation if it's the normal course. If this was a stranger and you were the executor of somebody's estate and you had no relationship with the beneficiary, of course you would ask for it to say, please sign off. And that provides some comfort to say they're not going to receive the gift and then come back and bring a claim against you for something you may have done, right? In the absence of that, the actual just getting an interest in the estate is doesn't conclude that, well, they're approving it. They actually would have to say, no, I release you. I'm happy with everything. It would be appropriate to get that in place. Typically, you'll do an informal distribution, which means you have a release from all the parties. In some cases, you have to do a formal accounting where you go to the courts, you get the judge to approve it, and you have a court order saying, you're free to disperse. And that way, if anybody has a complaint, they can file material with the court and say, I'm concerned about this or that as part of what the executor did. Certainly in more contentious files or where we know we're not going to get a release, then I'll go straight to a formal accounting. I, I just wrapped yeah. one up a, a few months ago and it worked very well. No one objected. We, we gave the required notice. We showed up in court. We had the court order. Well, now the executor is protected right? Yeah. There was unique circumstances in that case that we needed the court order because of the way the will was drafted. And that's not the normal situation. But sometimes that's the easiest, cheapest, quickest, and the best protection is to get a court order. But the vast right. majority of estates get resolved simply by doing the distribution, but obtaining the release. So the cautionary word would be, if this is your family, why not say, well, the lawyer says it's the normal thing. Uh, blame it on the, the lawyer. Yeah, yeah, Blame it on the lawyer. Get the release. <laughs> why, why not? Why not yeah. have that protection? I think that makes you sleep better at night knowing, okay, we're good for everything in the past. And of then course. if you are still administering the estate, if they have a complaint, it's only limited to to whatever is going forward. I don't know if it was me, I would I would ask for it. Even if I'm not worried about anything, why not have it? Um, and I think, I think you know, that's a good point. And, and really, the release extends to your executors or or anyone taking over your affairs. So if the beneficiary dies in the course of the estate administration, maybe they were comfortable with the estate administration to date, but then their executor has to represent them for any further distributions. And they, they take a look and maybe there's not that level of trust that the family members had. So, you know, right. it might not be the beneficiary's problem. It might be the executor of the beneficiary. So I think that release protects under so many different situations. Getting back to what we said, applying that, it would be, you may trust your siblings, but do you trust your in-laws, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who might be their executor. And are they going to now go through everything with a fine tooth comb and, and, and start complaining about stuff when you thought it was in the past and everybody was happy with everything, right? So right. I, I think it's, it's not complicated. It's a one-page form, and it's appropriate to have in terms of mitigating the risk. Talk a little bit, uh, Jenna, about in, in terms of risk, another uh, potential creditor and what we all have to uh, deal with in all estates is Canada Revenue Agency. There's a process there to mitigate the risk that they can come back against the executor. Let's uh, can, you, can you talk us through that? Of course, yes. Um, so CRA, as, as you mentioned, is is a creditor to all estates. <laughs> I, will, I will say all because there's there's always, you know, some tax to be paid at the end. So what you can do after you file a final tax return, which is a T1 terminal tax return, is you can request a clearance certificate from CRA for all the tax returns up to and including the date of death tax return. And that gives you some protection to do a distribution. There's also another clearance certificate for the T3 period. So that's 
for any income earned after death, which I also recommend obtaining to to protect you from, you know, CRA coming back saying you didn't file or didn't pay enough taxes for the income earned after death. So there's two two different clearance certificates you can obtain. Um, The T3 is obviously uh, much more protective. It gives you more protection over the entire estate administration period. But it's really a simple process. You apply to CRA, you say, hey, I filed all the tax returns. I would like the clearance certificate up to this, this date. And then you sit there and you wait. You can wait some several months sometimes, but it's definitely worth it because once they give you that clearance certificate, you have confidence knowing that CRA won't come back to you for any residual taxes owing. Now they can, if they want, go into and try to you know reach out to the beneficiaries to obtain some funds for, from the distribution they received. But at least from the executor's perspective, they do have that protection uh, knowing that they're not going to have to be personally liable to, to pay CRA. Yeah. And we know CRA is not going away. That's the certainty, right? Death and taxes. And and uh, you do really want to protect yourself against the opportunity that CRA can come back and say, well, you still owe some money. Because it's not an answer to CRA to say, well, there's no money left in the estate. I distributed it all, right? They're going to go, too bad. I guess you're paying that out of your personal account. And they would be right. They can't do that, as you have said, if they have that clearance certificate, right? That's... Yeah statutorily guaranteed to say they cannot go back to do that. I think the other important thing that I I try to highlight with clients when we're talking about the clearance certificate, which can be obtained, as you said, right at the after you file the terminal return or that final T1 return, because they're going to go back and look at their review period, which is three years. They're going to go back and say, is there anything in the past? So that's a good way to determine, you know, just clear that off that they they can't come back because Otherwise, you might end up with something from CRA saying the estate owes some money and you have to have enough money to be able to do that. And again, if you want to sleep well at night, it would be (laughs) I don't want to get the notice that CRA is going to come after me and I'm going to be personally responsible for it. So I I think that's really important to make sure you get the clearance certificate. It's not a, a requirement, but it's it's almost at the point of saying you would be foolish not to do it because alternatively you have to wait out the the period of time that CRA has to come back and look at it which is 3 years so instead of waiting 3 years to make sure there's no claims the clearance certificate process can speed that up right and and as you say it can be at the, at the as of the date of death on an interim distribution or a final distribution and you got to check the right box on that it's a it's a form available on CRA's website and then i I usually recommend work with the accountant in terms of the timing for the clearance certificate. And an accountant would often assist with that, although you could do it yourself. But the accountant will say, give advice as to when the right time is for making that that distribution or, or make that filing based on all the other compliance work being done. Yep. So three three quick and easy ways to reduce your risk. So I hope uh, hope the executors got some value out of out of today's discussion. Yeah, I would say the other comment would be. I think you reduce risk by employing and working with qualified professionals, right? So you don't have to understand the Income Tax Act, hire an accountant. You you don't have to understand all the legal issues. That's why you hire a lawyer. And 
you don't have to know everything about investing. You got to hire a financial advisor to help with the management of the funds during the estate. So the you know get appropriate advice. I think these are a couple little tips that you can talk to your professional about, or if you haven't thought about it and you're doing it yourself, that you would make use of some of these ways to mitigate the risk so that nothing's going to come back on you. I guess the other thought by way of concluding is that most people find that, well, they're doing this because it's a friend or it's a family member. They're sort of that, well, I should be the executor. I was nominated, right? And sometimes regarded as a bit of a thankless task. But I think the point being is there is liability. There's risk associated with doing this and you want to do it properly. So make sure you use the tools that are available that we've talked about for mitigating the risk, but also get appropriate professional advice because that will help you navigate those those waters to make sure nothing comes back on you. So with that, if you have any questions, reach out to either one of us. We'd love to have a conversation with you. If there's questions that come to mind as a result of what we're talking about in today's episode, please subscribe. If you are listening to this for the first time, either on the podcast or on our, on our YouTube channel, we look forward to the next conversation. And Jenna, we're going to talk about personal belongings or personal effects, which is an interesting topic. And I look forward to the, uh, chatting with you on, on that. And to our listeners, please come back for that episode. We look forward to having a conversation with you if that's appropriate about anything we're talking about. Great. Well, thanks so much, Gordon. Talk to you soon. Bye now. 